0: section 15 of an american vendetta this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org this recording by philip aldred nottingham uk an american vendetta A Story of Barbarism in the United States by T.C. Crawford Chapter 11. The Commercial Traveller's Story, Part 1 Seated in front of the fire in a lonely farmhouse in the bottoms of the Guyandot River on the road to Logan Courthouse, I listened to a story of adventure told by a commercial traveller. It illustrates so well some of the phases of life in this land of barbarism that I have endeavoured to reproduce it simply as it was told to me, and to present it as the closing chapter of my experiences in Murderland. The commercial traveller was originally from Vienna. He had served in the Austrian army losing all his property necessary to his support by foolish and wasteful living, he was obliged to resign. He came to this country to seek employment. He had drifted into the employment of a Richmond house, and at the time I saw him, had been travelling through the rough parts of Virginia and West Virginia for some five years. Twice a year he came over the mountain roads to Logan Court House. He travelled with a light wagon and a stout pair of grey horses, and as he was an accomplished whip managed to get over the roads in very good time, although each time he went through this particular country he was invariably made ill by the food and the rough riding. Lifting his soft black hat from his blond curls as he stared through the cloud of smoke straight into the blazing coal fire, this ex cavalry officer of the Austrian army and former pet of Vienna society began as follows I have been coming into this country now for over five years, but until last year I never met with any experience that was in any way out of the ordinary. It was a dull round of coarse food, bad beds, hard riding, without any pleasure to be found anywhere in the society of the mountain people, who are as dull as death when sober, and who when drunk are simply quarrelsome and murderous. Coming out of this country last fall, I was congratulating myself upon the fact that my two weeks' penance was nearly at an end. I was within half a day's ride of a railroad station, from where I could reach civilization in a few hours. I was nearly ill from fatigue and the bad food. Still I kept up well enough, knowing I was so nearly through with my work. In coming around a rocky bend in the road, overhanging the precipitous banks of the Coal River, I met in the narrowest part of the road, a wagon, a most unusual sight where nearly all the travel is on horseback. The wagon was drawn by two stout bay horses. The driver was a negro coachman in a shabby livery. Upon the second seat in the wagon, which was covered, was a lady. I had barely time to notice her at first, as I had my hands full in making room for them to pass. I backed my wagon until its hind wheels actually hung balanced over the overhanging rock looking down on the river. I had confidence in my horses, however. They stood firm, where a single backward movement of nervousness would have sent me down onto the rocks below, with a broken neck. I just noted that the lady stared at me with terror in her intensely black eyes, as her driver slid his wagon clumsily by, barely shoving me as I sat balancing whip in hand, ready to start my horses at the first sign of a clear passage. It was but a moment of suspense. It was ticklish for the minute, but you get used to every kind of risk to life and limb on these mountain roads. As I swung back into the road, and to safety again, the lady turned and said, "'I am so glad you escaped without accident. I hope you will pardon us for being the occasion of so much risk.' I took off my hat involuntarily, and bowed very low. I was overwhelmed with surprise. It was the voice of a lady, and what was more, of a cultivated lady. It was the first time I had ever heard such a voice in this wretched country. It was the first time I had ever seen a lady in this region. What could she be doing here? In a country where the hardships were so great as to try the fortitude of the strongest of men. In the quick glance of respectful curiosity I saw that she was young, dark, with very regular features, with blue-black hair showing in a luxuriant coil from under a high black felt hat, ornamented with a raven's wing. Her dress was a close-fitting black. By her side was a huge portmanteau, covered with the labels of European travel. With the driver, and in the front part of the wagon, were several bags and boxes. As I gazed, the lady bowed, and the wagon disappeared round the corner. For several moments I sat lost in thought. What was the meaning of this strange invasion? Of this land of barbarism. Surely no livered servant had ever been seen here before, and where and when in the annals of this brutal land had a lady one of the flowers of modern civilization ever before appeared? Do not think me over-sentimental for a commercial traveller. Remember my former position and training, if you wish to account for my musing. Then, when you add to this the well-known natural susceptibility of the commercial traveller to the charms of the fair sex, and you will have something by way of explanation for my being completely transfixed and overwhelmed by the sight which had so quickly disappeared. I could not but help thinking of what this lady had before her, guarded only by a stupid-looking servant. Surely she could never have ventured into this country if she could have had an idea of its difficulties, its hardships, and the absolute disregard for the refinements of life, no more allowance being made for the presence of women than if they were so many inferior animals. As I thought through this most interesting of subjects, I involuntarily backed my horses again, And by exercising great ingenuity succeeded in turning them back upon the road over which I had just made such a wearisome journey. At first I tried to cheat myself with the idea that I had neglected to visit one of the smaller towns upon the crossing of this bad road, and that I ought to return for this purpose, but soon I renounced even this delusion. I found myself under the impulse of a strange spell. I felt impelled to ride on until I should learn more of this strange lady, of the terrible necessity which had brought her into this desolate waste, and, if need be, come to her aid against the dangers and discomforts surrounding every stranger's visit to this region. I could not now explain to you the feeling that controlled me. I seemed to be acting under orders mysteriously spoken by some unknown but superior power. I followed along slowly, keeping the strange carriage barely in sight, when, in turning the bend just above the very difficult fording of a jagged, rock-bottomed stream, I saw signs of distress ahead. The strange lady's carriage had broken down, The place of the accident was the usual one for such accidents to occur in this region. It was at a place four miles distant from the nearest house. Dense forests lined both sides of the terrific stretch of rocky road, dug here and there into awful pits of mud and water, and crossed at frequent intervals by trunks of decaying and half-buried trees. The constant wrenching and jolting had proven too much for the wheels of the lady's carriage. The two on the right side had been completely dished, that is, turned in until the spokes were half broken from their setting in the hub. As I came up the lady who had alighted turned to me with an eager look of relief. As her aged coloured servant stood looking at the wreck without being able to suggest the slightest way of righting the mishap, the lady's look of relief was mingled with one of surprise at seeing me, after having passed me only a short time ago, going in an opposite direction. Standing on the ground, I saw she was slightly above medium height, her figure was straight and lithe. The lines of which indicated energy and youthful vitality. She had a quick nervous way of moving about indicating a fierce impatience. To my offer of assistance she responded with grateful frankness, and without the slightest reserve. I had in my mountain rides been confronted with such accidents before. I had a wrench, a hammer, and a hatchet in my wagon for use upon such occasions. I directed the helpless negro to bring a rail from a neighbouring fence, and in a few moments I had the carriage propped up and the wheels off. With another rail employed as a lever, the negro and I managed by our combined weight to bring the spokes back into their place. Then I cut some tough hickory-withes, and, weaving them in and out between the broken spokes, I managed to so strengthen the broken wheels that they could be trusted with careful management to serve their purpose for several hours at least. When this was done, I turned to the lady and said, "'Permit me to offer you a seat in my carriage to your next stopping-place.' as your carriage should now travel with as light a load as possible, to avoid a second breakdown. There's a blacksmith's shop ten miles further on this road, near a house where I have often stopped. It is the only comfortable place within twenty miles, and it is now coming on night rapidly. I hope you will accept my offer without ceremony, as I have been obliged to retrace my road On account of an important matter which I had by strange mischance forgotten. The lady said, I accept your kind offer gratefully, I do not know what I should have done if you had not been turned back by Providence to come to our rescue. With this she turned to me with a bow, and I assisted her to a seat at my side in my carriage. I now drove on in advance, telling the coloured man to follow us carefully. There was fully two hours' drive ahead of us, and the sun was beginning to disappear. Grey mists were beginning to float on the many streams crossing this wild road, while down from the mountain swept an icy air that penetrated like a knife. My companion, as she talked, betrayed a slight foreign accent she told me her name, it was Mrs Von Bergen. Wife or widow, I did not venture to ask, although my bachelor heart yearned to know. Mrs Von Bergen's name indicated foreign associations, and her slight accent indicated foreign birth, although she spoke English with great fluency and correctness she did not by word or sign explain her mission into this country. She accepted my companionship with the frankness of good fellowship. She talked easily and freely of current affairs. For a young woman, and she could not have been a day over twenty-five, she evidently had seen a great deal of the world her manner recalled to me the best manners of the great ladies I used to know in Vienna society. Jaded and worn out as I had been by the fatigues of the last two weeks, I forgot them all in the charm of the society of this independent, self-possessed lady. I can hardly recall now anything she said. It was not much at the time as she too was clearly very much fatigued with her first day's journey in the mountains. Her voice was rich and full, it was keyed low, it suggested the possession of a contralto voice of fine quality. Mrs von Bergen's manner indicated rare courage and decision of character. End of section 15, chapter 11, part 1